Live from Auburn, the sports capital of Alabama, this is The Drive. The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck on ESPN 1067. And online at ESPNAU.com. To be a part of The Drive, call 334-321-1390. Toll free at 888-382-7502. Or email The Drive at ESPNAU.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome in. It is the Wednesday edition of the drive and uh with with bill and dan drew at the controls sort of the regular crew although we're we're minus we're minus our our normal fourth here for hour number one of the wednesday drive and that uh, jason caldwell from uh inside the auburn tigers AUTigers.com. jason out of town so uh we will catch up with him again next week sure i'll see him around the ballpark some this weekend and uh, speaking of the ballpark, we'll, 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 uh, we, we've got some tickets we're going to give away to Auburn opening weekend against Indiana. We'll get to that and much more after we let you know that hour number one of the drive is brought to you as usual by our friends at Kia of Auburn on South College and KiaofAuburn.com. Kia of Auburn, where you're always number one. And they're also the sponsor of our hotline where you can uh, join us with your thoughts, questions, comments by calling 334-321-1390. You can also text the show, 334-564-1840 on the Drive text box presented by Southeastern Industrial Contractors. You can also check out the podcast, which I think if you missed yesterday's show, you're going to want to check out the podcast of yesterday's show. Particularly, we opened yesterday's show with an interview uh, with Auburn uh, Director of Athletics John Cohen. We mm-hmm. also had uh, Barrett Salee and uh, uh, Jake, Crane. Jake Crane and Scott Bagwell to talk about Auburn's uh, Auburn High School in the uh, playoffs today. Yes, yeah, sadly, it was a uh, short. It was it was a uh, uh, short run in the playoffs as both the girls and boys dropping decisions today. The uh, the girls losing to Daphne fifty eight forty eight while the uh, the boys dropped a fifty one forty three decision to Fairhope. That was a wildly uh, it was it's you know so many games it is streaks and what streak ended things. Auburn was down nine, went on a seventeen zero run, took an eight point lead at half, and then Fairhope went on a big run and uh, eventually went at fifty one forty three. So. Um, tough way. The, the season ends up in Birmingham. Outstanding seasons for both the Auburn boys and girls, but their seasons are done. So it's on to baseball, and that's coming up, uh, I believe. Uh, we got broadcasts coming up this weekend for Auburn High Baseball over on W. Lee. That's right, but you, but you can listen to our interview with John Cohen on the podcast. Uh, however you listen to podcasts, search for The Drive with Bill Cameron on your favorite podcasting platform or go to RadioAlabama.net. ESPNAU.com and use the podcast center to listen to the show that way. That's all presented by Southeastern Industrial Contractors. And, uh, yeah, really had a, a great time yesterday. Speaking of uh, guest news, Bill, I, uh, I have confirmation. I don't have an exact date because the next week or two is busy for him. Uh, but we will talk with Jeff Perlman, uh, who wrote uh, the... Oh, the, I just finished his book. That's right. The, uh, the Last Folk Hero, the Bo Jackson uh, unauthorized, but but he said, go ahead and do it. 
Yeah, no, Jeff Perlman writes about uh, historical figures, mm-hmm. uh, prominent figures in the world of sports or prominent teams. Uh, I love his book about the uh, Mets World Series championship from the 1980s, The Bad Guys Won. Uh, his book about the Showtime Lakers was the basis of the HBO series uh, that aired uh, this time last year. Uh, the book was called Showtime. The, the series is called uh, Winning Time. Because it was on HBO. HBO didn't want to air a show. HBO's not going to be promoting Showtime. Right. I believe there will be a second season of that uh, yeah, fo- following is. that story coming up uh, uh, this year. But no, a lot, lot of cool stuff we can talk about. His Brett Favre book is excellent. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of cool stuff to talk about with Jeff Perlman, and that's going to be in the coming weeks we will speak uh, with Jeff Perlman. So, uh, so yeah, more, more exciting news coming as far as uh, folks appearing on the drive. You never and, know who and, might drop by. And I, I got uh, word to today, it was either late yesterday afternoon or today, that uh, Butch Thompson will be joining us at some sometime next week. Hey, the, this this week is a little crazy as they're getting ready for the opening series, but uh, we'll have we'll have the Auburn uh, head baseball coach on uh, at some point next week. So looking forward to that as well. Yeah, that that's very very cool, and I'm uh, I'm gonna miss. A big chunk of next week with my Troy responsibilities, final uh, road trip of the regular season. But no, it's going to be great to talk with Auburn uh, head coach Butch Thompson uh, with the season getting started in just a few days. I know you're looking forward to that, Bill. Mm-hmm. You're going to try to make oh, yeah. it out to the ballpark a couple times this weekend, weather permitting. Yeah, uh, now the weather looks like, I mean, it's going to permit. It's just going to be cold. Just make sure you, you take... Um some some layer have some layers. It's going to be pretty chilly. The Friday game, of course, has been moved up to 4 o'clock to try to avoid the bitter cold that there's going to come Friday night, going to have a low below freezing on Friday night. Then Saturday and Sunday are 2 and 1 o'clock games, respectively. Did we, uh, did we give an update on where Jason is for folks who might be tuning in? Have we mentioned on the air? Uh, I said he's out of town. Okay, cool. All right. I, I wasn't sure if we, yeah. if we mentioned that. Cause I, I was going to say, I, did, I, I didn't give his exact location. Well, we don't have to do that. Okay. But, but with right. the, no, but with, with baseball getting started, I know it's oh, yeah, you know, what we'll, I said. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll see him at the ballpark. Yeah, we'll have a lot to talk about with, uh, with, with, with Jason Caldwell, and I'm looking forward to uh, the next time we get to talk with him but uh how about uh, i was gonna say before that let me go ahead and say say since since we're talking a little bit about baseball we do have some tickets uh today we have tickets for saturday for game two of the auburn indiana series uh and and these are uh we've got a couple of tickets down on the and at the dugout level i mean prime seats if you would like a pair of tickets to the 2 o'clock Saturday Game 2 between Auburn and Indiana, just give us a call on the Kia of Auburn hotline. We will set you up with those tickets. We'll give away some more as we move on through the show. And, yes, I am sure we will talk, and we're about to talk a good bit about um, quite the turnaround for Auburn last night, all the concerns after Auburn having dropped five of six and the Missouri Tigers coming in looking for win number 20, being projected as a seven seed in the NCAA tournament. And Auburn just destroyed Missouri last night. I mean, from the opening tip, Auburn never trailed. And they weren't really threatened last night by Missouri. Um, a very impressive 89 
to 56 game, a game that uh, Missouri is only able to cut it down to that by scoring the last six points of the game. It was 30 to six. I mean, I yeah. mean, it was. I mean, the, the some of the scores. It was 22 to two. It was yeah. It was I mean, 19 to two early in the game. It was 30 to six uh, with the. I think the Flanagan dunk made it 30 to six. Right. And it was early, but it, I mean, it didn't. It was not a. It was not a competitive game, and I, I said on social media, it was like watching one of those nature shows where a killer whale eats a seal, right? And you just say, you know, they, they throw them up in the air, and they catch them, and they, they toss them back and forth. Like, it was not competitive basketball no. last night. And Well, it was uh, a great matchup, I thought, for Auburn. I mean, Missouri, Missouri is a good team, but uh, the matchups for Auburn were perfect. I mean, Missouri didn't have the dominant inside game. Uh, Janai Broom absolutely had a great game. The, the, the concern you have right now is how healthy is that ankle going to be after he went down, had it worked on. He was on his way, it looked like, to a 30-15 night. Uh, he still ended up with, 20, I think, 20-11 and 11 the game has, last night. The game has that practical impact in the standings because the top four seeds in the SEC – uh, it, it's important to be one of those top four seeds going into the SEC tournament because of the double buy system that the SEC uses. But on top of what it meant for the standings or the SEC tournament, for Auburn to play like that against a good team, I mean, that's the kind of performance that makes you think if this team gets in, if, the, if this team can approximate that performance again in, in the postseason. This, the, not, that's not to say they can make a, a, a deep run because you're asking them to play their best game over and over again. But the way they played last night would have given some of the best teams in the country trouble. My question, Bill... It would have. But here, there, there are a few things, though. Missouri is... Missouri's yeah. not a good defensive team. No, and, and I was about to ask you, how much of last night is about Auburn and how much of last night's about Missouri? I think it's, I, I think it's a good bit of both. I think Auburn did play. They came out... Very intense and and really took it to Missouri, but there there are a lot of teams that will um, I think cause Auburn more problems. Auburn got more open looks last night. They might got more open looks inside, and that resulted in more more open looks outside. Credit to Auburn for hitting the threes, um, but uh, then uh, part of it is is Missouri giving them better looks. Than, than you might get, but I thought it was really good to see Katie Johnson hit four threes last night. Auburn goes nine of 18 from, from outside the arc, so that's good. That's going to give them confidence. Auburn um, shot 48 twos at a really high percentage yeah. last night. Well, and, and, you think and about that's that the, different, the difference in what Alabama does defensively and what Missouri does. Missouri's a very good offensive team, and that's where Auburn, Auburn again played excellent defense. Over the last six games, Auburn has really played very well defensively throughout that period. Um, from well over the last six and a half games, okay, since halftime of West Virginia on, Auburn has played good enough defensively to have won every one of those ball games. It's been offensively, and and uh, last night Auburn played better offensively. I think part of that. Uh, I mean, obviously, they deserve credit for that. But but you do have to look at the fact that Missouri statistically is not very good. And, and they did allow more – they just allowed more space than a lot of teams. And, and they didn't change things. When things started going well for Auburn, Missouri kept doing the same thing. 
and it and it didn't work. Uh, so one player who made a huge impact last night. I don't know how much we've talked about his resurgence is Katie Johnson. Right? Yeah, I, mean, I, I just mentioned. Yeah, Katie I mean, I mean, hit that, four threes. Yeah, I mean Katie, Katie coming off the bench and providing that kind of spark. Yeah, fourteen and, in the first half. Fourteen of his fifteen in the first half. There were a couple of Auburn guards that. I had a very high percentage or shot the ball really high percentage last night. Flanagan was six of seven uh, from the even Leor uh, off the bench. Well, Leor hit three threes. Yeah, Leor was three of four, and uh, and there are no. It's just tough to and the crazy thing. You was, imagine it's tough to beat Auburn when the guards are playing that well. On top of like you said, uh, Janai Broom having so much room to operate, oh, yeah. being able to impose his will over and over again before that ankle injury at the end of the game. Well, and uh, I mean the thing is, they put Dylan Cardwell back in the game because he had a shot at a double double. Uh, so Auburn nearly had Auburn. Auburn had three guys close and to Dylan double did, did finish with ten rebounds. Yeah, eight points and ten rebounds, and he missed a couple of tips there at the end that would have gotten him to a double double. Um, and uh, you know, uh, I mean, so and, and Jalen wasn't far off from a double double. So season I mean, high, that's the difference inside. Season high in rebounds uh, for Dylan, which and is a, and a season a, high in rebound margin for the team. Yeah, Auburn dominated the boards, and that's where. When the when the guards are uh, when the when the guards are playing with confidence and uh, when, when Auburn's getting something out of players like KD offensively and and getting Alan Flanagan at a really efficient uh, number, you're getting uh, you're getting that that kind of dominance on the uh, on the offensive and defensive glass. Like Auburn's a, an incredibly tough matchup for a team like that. And Missouri, I mean, d- did you feel like a run was ever coming? No, no. I mean, and they shut they shut Kobe Brown down. I mean, they really uh, they strangled him. It was forty five to eighteen at the half. Forty five to eighteen, and 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 here we go. Now this is going to sound terrible. Got to be a deflating loss for a Missouri team that beat Tennessee in Knoxville, right? Yeah, home, yeah, but but they I think they can they can go look. We split against two of the upper true. teams in the league on the road. Scoring margin doesn't matter. That's right. And now they're going to get home, and uh, you know. Uh, Auburn's not a good matchup for them. Other teams, I mean, they, this team put 80, 89, really, no, 86, excuse me, on Tennessee. I really want to see the next two with A&M because they've got Arkansas tonight in College Station and they go to Columbia, Missouri this weekend. And mm-hmm. I think those will both be really good tests, not just for A&M because those are two teams. You think that, South Carolina's going to be much of no, a No, 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 Columbia, Missouri. Oh, oh okay. A, A&M, A&M is going oh, okay. to. No, I, I should have. No, I, I didn't. No, you, you, you did. I, I just did. I just. For some reason, I was thinking South Carolina. No, A and M hosts Arkansas tonight. Yeah, Ar- you're right. That's going to be really interesting. Arkansas beat A and M earlier in the season in Fayetteville, and then A and M goes uh, to Missouri uh, on Saturday afternoon. That's right before Auburn Vanderbilt. Actually, that's the game leading up. And I think those are both not just for an A and M team that needs to win those kind of games to make their case to be included in the NCAA tournament. Because keep in mind, most. Most projections right now don't have A and M in, despite their conference record, because of the, of, of uh, some of the losses they suffered out of conference. And with Arkansas and Missouri, I mean, those are both up and down programs. Missouri needs to bounce back from what happened last night. Oh yeah, and and they've got a chance to do it at home. But A and M is not a team you feel great about bouncing back against because of the way they play. Man, it is it is really tight in the SEC for the for the the battle. There after after Alabama, I mean, yeah, A and M's two games back, and then it's another game and a half back to Tennessee. Another game before tonight, tonight. right? There's yeah, Tennessee, game. Alabama. Another with one Tennessee tonight, favored. Right? Tennessee about a two two and a half point favorite up in Knoxville tonight against the number one Alabama Crimson if Tide. Bama, if Bama wins tonight, I, you know, I wonder win or lose the next time Bama will be an underdog this season. 
right? When you think about on on the at the number, not I mean, in this league, I don't think. Right, and then who in the tournament? Do you? I mean, who could be? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe one of the good Big Twelve it wouldn't teams. Be for a while. Maybe, I mean, yeah, you would, would think I mean, it wouldn't be for a while. I mean, maybe Houston in a rematch. I actually don't know uh, who would be favored in that situation. But uh, no, it's a uh, uh, Bama is an underdog tonight, about a three point underdog in Knoxville. That game starts right when the show ends at uh, six mm-hmm. o'clock. So yeah, some some good. SEC basketball on the schedule tonight, and uh, and Auburn feeling really good after just deep frying. Oh yeah, the the Missouri Tigers with, with last Wendell night. Green not getting a field goal, not recording a field goal. All five of his points come at the free throw line, but he had nine assists, zero turnovers last night. He didn't need to. That's impressive for Auburn to have a game like that. You're right, without Wendell Green stirring. The, the stirring the drink as well, the main score or something. And like that. I think was, that I think that says a lot about Wendell. Uh, people have criticized him for missing shots at the end of the game. Hey, if he doesn't have to take it, he'll he'll pass it if somebody's open. Uh, but but I mean, there have been times at the end of games where it didn't look like anybody else wanted the ball, so somebody's got to take the shot. Oh, when, but last night I thought a very very good game for Wendell, despite the, despite the fact that he has no field goal. The sharpest the sharpest moments offensively for this team are when players other than Wendell are hitting shots because there's always the threat of offense from Wendell mm-hmm. Green. It's when his teammates are contributing too that I think defenses have to start thinking about Plan B and Plan C because Wendell Green is uh, is is a big part of the attack. And last night he was still a part of the attack, even though, like you said, he wasn't scoring field uh, field goals necessarily. But between getting to the free throw line and sharing the ball to teammates who were scoring, he was still making an impact on the game. We'd love to hear from you. Give us your thoughts on the game last night. Anything you want to talk about sports wise. As uh, once again, yeah, Jason not with us today. He is uh, out of town, and uh, we should catch back up with him next week. But we'd love for you to join in here on the Wednesday edition of The Drive. Time to churn up some more yardage on The Drive. The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck on ESPN 1067 and online at ESPNAU.com. To be a part of The Drive, call 334-321-1390, toll free at 888-382-7502, or email The Drive at ESPNAU.com. Welcome back into The Drive here on this Wednesday. Yeah, this would be tough to do on the radio. There's really nothing you can do with this. On the radio. During, during the break, Dan got a uh, care package from his mom, right? Yeah, it was, it was a nice, nice little gift from, I mean, uh, from the folks back west. And, yeah, uh, and, and, and uh, it is a huge uh, assortment of jelly bellies. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, running, a running joke in our family because she, she likes some of the strange flavors and I like more the, the traditional ones. But it's, uh, yeah, she, she got me the uh, little mixture of jelly belly oh, it's flavors. It's a huge here, assortment. And, yes. and, and Bill had never tried some of the. No, no. They, they, and, and, and all of the ones I tried, I, I liked. I couldn't identify. Now that I think about it, the, the last one didn't taste like, it didn't taste like, uh, Krispy Kreme. They should be, they should be paying for this, but Jelly Belly, Jelly Belly is like a, uh, it's a California based jelly bean company that has kind of traditional flavors and then they also have offbeat Sort of unusual flavors for candy I, I and really, jelly beans. I really like the first two and, that I tried. Yeah, buttered popcorn has been buttered one of their. Buttered popcorn tasted exactly like 
buttered popcorn. Butter, the buttered popcorn Chewy jelly buttered belly. popcorn yeah, is the, what that was. The buttered popcorn jelly belly, I think, is, is sort of a notorious, like, that's uh-huh. that's always been in the rotation. Yeah. And then toasted marshmallow Toasted marshmallow been. was, I, I, I didn't quite get that it was the toasted marshmallow first, but more I think about it. Yes, the sweet, caramelized sort of taste yeah, and it's, is what that was. I think it's for a slightly more sophisticated uh, palate. palate? Some of these might be, you know, like, it, it, uh, you can't, I like you can't mention, you know, kids may not want to munch on the toasted kids, marshmallow ki- or the... Kids don't want toasted marshmallows? Well, they might like toasted marshmallows. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, no, but it's... Uh, you may not want kids to be munching on your <laughs> toasted marshmallow jelly bellies. That's what you mean. That, that, maybe that's what I mean. So, yeah. But it's... Uh, uh, no, so, yeah, was, we, we were... We were uh, Bill was testing some of the... Uh, so, some of the more unusual jelly belly flavors there during the break. And it sounds like How Bill... different... I mean... There, it's, it's a mix of forty in well, the in the. It's a little, there, there are there are about five or six different green. Right, and there's um, so so. What are they? I mean, I know I, I'm, a, I'm just hoping that one wouldn't be like a vegetable. So one of them is like, the, ooh, the watermelon. Here's a broccoli well, jelly belly. Well, the watermelon is green on the outside with red on the inside. You see what they did there, right? Oh, is that, that's so good. They, do, they do have the. But then uh-huh. the others, I think there's. I think one of them might be Seven Up flavored. Uh, I know one of them's green apple. That's funny because only the bottles are green. Margarita, I think, is you know. <laughs> you know, it's not like is it green on the outside and clear on the inside? Maybe quite quite possibly, yeah, okay. but I, I, lime could be in there, or lemon lime, yeah, or something like that. That's, they, that's, I, yeah, that's not bad. yeah, we may, may a little salt yeah, around the edge. We may have to may have to uh, do do a little inspecting of the greens when we uh, when we go to our our next break. <laughs> that's right. They're, they're, you always hear that you're not you know you're not, you're not consuming enough greens. What are you thinking on Bama Tennessee tonight, Bill? Um... Tennessee's lost. I mean, Tennessee has not been playing well. Where are they going to find the offense to beat Alabama? I, I just th- that it's almost as though they know Charles Bediaco's not playing. I, I, you know, we all heard that he was uh, hurt in practice. Let's see if I can find an update um, on that on on, social media. over the weekend. I guess on Sunday he was hurt in practice, and the initial reports were, oh, it could be serious, but then. The official word was, "Oh, it's it's nothing major. It's a minor injury. Uh, something has to have Vegas comfortable enough to put Tennessee as a two and a half point favorite. I mean, Tennessee has has really been struggling lately. And yeah, their last time out, we talked about it from Missouri standpoint. But this Tennessee team, which has prided itself and they hadn't allowed seventy points to anybody, gave up eighty six. To Missouri, if Missouri puts 86 on them, how many is Alabama going to put on them? An update on Bediaco. Uh, Nate Oates says he's day-to-day. Yeah, okay, aren't we all? <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, but... Uh, I, bet, I, I bet he doesn't play. Yeah, I mean, he's... Um, Somebody knows something. I'm, I'm thinking that's that's part of the assumption being made from folks who favor Tennessee mm-hmm. in tonight's game is that Bediaco may not play. I know there's also concerns with a couple of key Tennessee players, Julian Phillips and uh, Triple J, are both uh, questionable, but you get the feeling they might play tonight and Bediaco uh, may... Uh, um, may may miss the game, uh, and if so, that would present Alabama with some rim protection problems and some maybe some matchup problems uh, when Tennessee goes with a, a slightly bigger lineup. Well, if Tennessee loses tonight, I mean, then then they're eight and five and got a chance to be to drop out of the top four in the SEC. So, I mean, this is this is a uh, huge game, not not for them to make the tournament. Although I'm seeing them down now as a, a, a three or four seed. After they'd been, you know, a, 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 no, you know, no lower than the two line 
if, all along. If Bama can win tonight, you wonder where a loss is coming in the regular right. season, or if there, if this is a team that's at gonna be Texas A and M at A and M. That's the only thing I would say. If they win tonight and they go ahead and clinch the conference before they go to College Station, then they may lose that. I game. mean, Arkansas and Auburn are both good teams, they are. but those games are in Tuscaloosa, and uh, may, maybe either of those teams could go to Tuscaloosa and play a great game and win. And, and like you said, Alabama goes to A&M to finish the regular season, but no, it just seems like this is the toughest game left on Alabama's schedule in the regular season, and if they uh, if, they, if they were to pull it off tonight against a Tennessee team, that they, they've been close losses. I mean, Missouri was at the buzzer, and right. Vandy was well, it's like Auburn's losses. They've yeah. been close losses. V- maybe they, a- maybe they'll turn it around and have that that big win. That's what Auburn was hoping to do against Alabama. Yeah, would really would we'll re- see we'll see if Tennessee does because Tennessee's got to go. Tennessee goes to Lexington Saturday. Oh, and really? I know Kentucky's been struggling, but a Tennessee a Tennessee team that had lost four out of five going to Lexington that's probably not good. A win tonight would, would fill Tennessee with the confidence that they can beat anyone in college basketball too because if you can beat Alabama you you can hang with just about anybody there is in in the sport. Yeah. Even though the games at home, that's even right. though the games at home, right. it still tells Tennessee we 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 can yeah. play with a team as good as them. Yeah, that's true. As long as they're not playing on that other team's home court. Yeah, as long as it's not in Tuscaloosa. (laughs) Right. All right, we'll get to our bottom of the hour break. Come on in and join us on the Kia of Auburn Hotline, 334-321-1390, here on the Wednesday Drive. The Drive. The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck on ESPN 1067 and online at ESPNAU.com. To be a part of The Drive, call 334-321-1390, toll free at 888-382-7502, or email The Drive at ESPNAU.com. Welcome back into The Drive here on this Wednesday afternoon. Bill and Dan, Drew at the controls, and we'd love for you to join in. Anything you want to talk about sports-wise, uh, Auburn with a huge win over Missouri last night, 89-56. to They're now 8-5 and in conference play and just a half game out of third in the SEC race. And, of course, the top four teams get double buys in the SEC tournament. You've got, uh, let's see... Um, well, Tennessee's eight and four, Auburn's eight and five, Kentucky seven and five, and now Missouri and Vandy is also seven and six. This this Vanderbilt team, uh, they are probably Dan this year's version of Texas A and M is what it looks like to me. Team that really looked like oh this this is a bad team in the pre conference, and they have really picked it up. They're playing much much better now. As they get ready for Auburn coming in Saturday night, I don't know how much of of the conversation with Jake Crane uh, you, you were able to hear yesterday because because you left a little bit early to get to the game. All Man, time. the traffic was unbelievable yeah, trying but, to but, get in. But the I'm so, I'm glad you. Yeah, it was it was nineteen to two when you sat down, right? It was it was already. No, no, I I, I, I mean I, I left at what about twenty till, and I mean it was it was uh, five nothing when I walked in. So I mean, it took it took that long to to get over there and get parked and get in. So I, 
I asked. Um, no, we were we were talking about a couple. Yeah, I heard a little bit of talk about Stackhouse. Yeah, I mean, I've I've always been a big fan of Jerry Stackhouse from the first year he got to Vanderbilt. I've just been really impressed with the the look of his team and the way he sort of neutralizes a talent disadvantage that's going to be really tough to overcome when you're the head coach of Vanderbilt as far as uh, figuring out how to build a team in men's basketball that can hang with the best of the league. I know Kevin Stallings did it for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. It was a very different league. Back then, right? You wonder if that would work. The Kevin Stallings approach would work in an NIL era and in an era of free movement with transfers. It's just, you know, I I wonder how realistic it is to expect better results than what Vanderbilt has gotten under Jerry Stackhouse. On the flip side of that, uh, like, like I was saying to Jake Crane yesterday, I think of a place with more resources, if a, uh, if, if a school with, with more, uh, a better track record of success and better facilities and more resources in men's basketball, a place that could get players. Uh, if they hired Jerry Stackhouse as their head coach, I think you'd see uh, dynamite results. And Florida State comes to mind. Uh, that's the one I threw out there yesterday. I think I think Florida State with Jerry Stackhouse would be uh, w- would be competitive very very quickly. And I mean, I guess Georgetown would also fall into that mix, too. Uh, maybe Georgetown is too much of a bygone uh, era. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Jerry Stackhouse played for the Wizards, so he has yeah. a, a tie to D.C. as well. Florida State just seems to make a lot more sense. F- you know, do, you, do you see the path there to Jerry Stackhouse at Florida State winning a lot of games? Like if yeah, they, if I they think wanted so. to go in, in that direction. What do you think of my other crazy idea on that front? I, I tossed out uh, Patino. Rick Patino at Ole Miss. Uh, I don't know. You've been you've been pushing Patino to just about any job. I thought Georgia. I mean, it, it, it wouldn't be crazy. I mean, I thought Georgia would make sense. I mean, they they went with Mike White instead. Right. But I th- I thought Georgia could have gone in that direction. Uh, I I understand there's some hey, trepidation G- that not just age, Georgia's but also better. The, the circumstances. Georgia, Georgia is, is better. This Georgia year. is better. I mean, beat Kentucky over the weekend, uh, and uh, and there's hey. If, speaking of all right, speaking of beating Kentucky, yeah. If Mississippi State beats Kentucky tonight, mm-hmm. which I will not be stunned. If they beat Kentucky tonight, if Mississippi State beats Kentucky and Alabama beats Tennessee, there will be nine teams within two games of each other for third place. A log jam. Nine teams. I mean... There would be nine teams between eight and five and six and seven I mean, it's in the much, SEC. It's pretty much everybody but South Carolina and LSU, right? I mean, they're they're at the very bottom. And Ole Miss. And Ole Miss. Ole Miss is two and ten. South Carolina's two and eleven. LSU's one and twelve. Forgot about South Carolina. Forgot about Ole Miss. Yeah. Every, and, and then who's who's next after those three teams? Uh, Mississippi State at five and seven. And it, so if they win, they're six and, and seven. Jer- and Jerry Palm has Mississippi State in yeah. the tournament right now. He's got them uh, in, which is an indication of how yeah how how, uh, uh, how big the middle of the conference is uh, this year and uh, how uh, it's how, how crazy. tough it could be to break out of that for teams. I mean, so you uh, could, to make it to the there, there all these teams could still with just five games left to play. Any of these teams could finish anywhere from third to eleventh. Where Vandy is in the net rankings, you mentioned them as I mean because they're not really perceived as a bubble team at the moment, but no. they, they could finish the regular season on a very impressive winning well, streak. Well, v- very much like A and M did yeah. a year ago. And then I mean, and if maybe they get, did and made a run through the tournament, they still wouldn't be in unless, unless they, they won, won the tournament. Unless they won yeah. the thing, yeah. Yeah, but they well, what what is Vandy won three or four in a row, I believe. Uh, they they've really been playing well. And that's where all goes on uh, Saturday night. That is right for a late game. That's a, that's an eight o'clock tip. I think it's seven thirty. Oh, okay. So still, you know, it's a Saturday evening game, but 
Well, I guess. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe Brad was well, and may not hour off last. May not start on time either, right? I think. I think it's. I think it's listed at seven thirty. But knowing that it's coming because it's going to come on. I thought that an SEC network game. Then I think so. It's on the same. It's on the same. uh, It's on ESPN two. Or no, that's not right. It's on uh, Saturday night's game between Auburn and uh, Vanderbilt. Is on the SEC network at seven thirty. Yeah. So there's a. Uh, there's Georgia, Still, that's a late game. Georgia's at Bama at 5 o'clock on SEC Network, and then Auburn's a game right after. Okay. Well, that's good that they at least tried to put a half an hour in between. There's no sense anymore trying to stack games up with, you know, back-to-back in two-hour windows because games just don't get over in two hours anymore. 334-321-1390. Let's get to the Kia of Auburn hotline. And James is up first. Hey, James. Hey, guys. Um. Sorry about the other night when I was talking to y'all. Uh, somebody tried to hit me while I was picking up my wife in the car, so oh, I'm not man. sure what that was about. But uh, like on, I per- wait, to, on, I, on purpose? I, well, I was parked to pick up my wife, and I don't think they were paying attention where they were oh, going. Okay, so. okay. But but the result anyway, was almost the yeah, same, well, whether or not, no, whether or not yeah, they meant to. Hopefully, hopefully, I mean, no damage, or was there? No, they didn't hit me. That's they good. missed me. It was but, just a near know, miss. Good. Yeah. You know. It's just Auburn traffic, you know. So <laughs> yeah, it it is it is much worse than ever, no doubt. Um, one other thing I wanted to make about the expansion thing. I know we were talking about the SMU thing. You know, uh, I feel like the Big Twelve has come out a big winner out of this because their conference commissioner seems to be more proactive about expanding aggressively than sitting back and seeing what goes like the Pac-12 commissioner. He seems like I'm going to rest on my laurels. I mean, it just maybe I'm wrong, but it just feels that way to me. Listening to the two of them and them being two completely different attitudes about it. You know. No, I, know. I agree. I agree with you. I mean, the um, Big 12 is trying to um, you know, make sure that there's still a viable conference. They're looking to add whoever they can. The Pac-12 is uh, is sitting there watching teams slip away, right? And the, well, yeah. the Pac-12 lost the the, the two uh, California, the Southern California teams, and I, I think there's the the growing question, multiple questions in the Pac-12. One, uh, I guess there's three of them because it's the question of what's going to end up happening with their media rights deal. Can they keep the rest of the league together, or will the lure of Big Ten money uh, bring Stanford or Oregon, Washington? Arizona, like could could those teams uh, be, be lured into the Big Ten uh, in something that would be beneficial for both sides? And then the third question would be conference expansion. You know, who who makes sense to add to the Pac-12 if the league wants to stay together? I kind of have a feeling that Oregon and Washington and Stanford and maybe Cal uh, could end up in the Big Ten along with uh, USC and UCLA. And if that were to happen. Oh, what uh, what kind of claim to a major conference would the Pac-12 even have? No, at that and would would a team you know can you keep the conference together at that point, or do you look at uh, schools breaking off into other leagues to sort of make sense geographically, and and that could be the you know sort of the death knell of of the conference itself? So I think that yeah, they face some existential questions in the future, and and I think the first one is you got to get a media rights deal done, and it's got to be big enough that Oregon feels like they can compete with Big Ten teams and SEC teams, and Washington feels like they can compete with 
teams, you know, for national championships. Stanford is is a program that competes not necessarily in football or men's basketball of late, but their overall athletics program. How many yeah. sports does Stanford compete yeah. for national championships in? So I mean, there are programs in that conference that want to have a level playing field, and if they can't get one in the Pac-12, uh, they'll go where they can. Yeah, I agree with that because if. Um if the Pac-12 loses out on some of those teams to the Big Ten, then you would automatically assume the SEC would look to add a couple of teams from the East Coast, you know, from the ACC to compete with that. Yeah, but, we talked on uh, on Monday about uh, the ACC's future, and it would take a sort of, you know, it, I, I think that they're, they have contractual language that dissuades one team from leaving, but if a group of teams in mass wanted to go uh, to a different conference, the conference would sort of break apart. And I think, yeah, trying to keep the ACC, it's a similar thing with some of the leftover Pac-12 programs, trying to keep the ACC competitive uh, in the marquee sports. If if the media rights deal, if it's not getting it done within the ACC, then programs like Clemson and Florida State mm-hmm. and Miami and North Carolina, like they're not going to stand back and just watch as they drift, you know, in, into obscurity as as they fall further and further behind the top programs in the sport. They're going to look out for themselves in that situation and maybe jump to a different conference that can give them uh, more money. And it it could be, yeah, it could be good news for uh, the, the the schools that the Big Ten and the SEC would want, and maybe bad news for everyone else who considers themselves a Power 5 program at the moment. That's true. All right, guys. I'll see you all later. Appreciate the call. 334-321-1390. Uh, Bill and Dan, Drew at the controls here. We've got... Uh, does feel like we're moving towards a SEC and two, a, a huge SEC yeah. conference and a huge Big Ten. I, I wonder. A huge I, SEC, but bigger than, bigger than you, now. You think the SEC is going to expand to more than 16? I, I don't know that it is. I think if the ACC, if all of the ACC teams were on the market, you don't think the SEC would be if interested? All, if, yeah, well, I think if it didn't cost an awful lot to do that. If the ACC yeah, broke the apart. SEC. But um, I think it would be more of the Carolina schools. I mean, I, I still think Florida is, is going to pitch fits to keep Florida State or Miami out of the SEC. Yeah, but, but we've seen that just one program pitching a fit doesn't, you know, you're, you could be outvoted if, if, there's, yeah. if there's a game. I, just, in, I, I really, I, I just, I have a feeling we're going to somehow wind up with, we're going to wind up with four conferences. You're going to have two that are much more powerful than the other two, but I think it's going to be four conferences, right? Or even, or even three, because the question I would we have could with, have three. The question I would have with four would be: Are there four media rights? You take are, the, are there? You, you take the Big Twelve and the Pac Twelve. Are there? Four, and you add Notre Dame into the ACC, and you've got four decent. But are are there four platforms that are going to want to pay at sort of an equal playing field, or is are we going to see three or two? I don't time? know. It just if, depends if on two, how much. Depends on how much more we move to streaming. The, the Big Ten and the SEC seem like they're in excellent shape. The Big Twelve has secured their future with a media rights I mean, deal that keeps got, them in the game. You've got you've got four networks, and you've got the ACC. Do all four of them care about college football? If, if the ACC were to break apart, you know some of those schools could go elsewhere, and then I think we'd move towards you know the SEC and the I Big mean, if, Ten if, sort of if, dominating. If, if you had four leagues and they could each convince one of the the four networks, the if, major networks. If everyone from the if you're the commissioner of the SEC and everyone from the ACC was on the table, who would you want? Uh, North Carolina and 
Island would be my would probably be my first choice, and then I'd probably want somebody. You wouldn't want Clemson with the success of maybe football I'd go late? Clemson and North Carolina. Yeah, I mean Virginia, Florida State. Yeah, but I'm just saying the first two. Yeah, I mean Florida State wouldn't be the wouldn't be the first. Miami, I don't think. No, I don't think so. I think it's. I mean, I think I'm with you. I think I think North Carolina maybe because of the impact it would make on your league as a football conference. Maybe maybe Florida State and Clemson are appealing additions. You're that already way. you're already a great football. You conference. are, but if you but if you don't you don't want to add you know you don't want to add you know. Uh, you know, a, a a patsy, flotsam and jetsam. You know, yeah. you don't you don't want to. No, I, I understand that, but no, I think Florida State and Clemson would be appealing because of the fact that they're both <laughs> programs that have been relevant national championship caliber programs in the last. I just say, I, I decade, think, I, decade I, and a half. I think or you've so. already got enough interest in in Northwest Florida. You don't really have to have Florida State. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like that would be. I think those those would be the ones that make sense. I mean, the two you named, uh, Florida State, years ago felt like yes, they ought to be in the SEC. Carol- they fit in the SEC, think- but they're not necessary. They're not necessary to be that next team or so. Would Carolina leave Duke? Would they leave? Would they leave Duke That's, behind? I I don't know. I wonder. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if it's yeah, if it's if it's you know a package deal or something with the, the I don't t- know the tobacco road teams or, or something like that. No, I just you know and you know you could you carve up the ACC in a different. Big Ten, Big Ten I, I, programs, SEC I mean, programs, you, something like do you that. Wanna, I mean, if you're going to go that, you want to go ahead and just go to 24 then instead of going to 20? Ooh. Maybe you do Two that. Two super conferences. Well, we'll see. I mean, that's uh, – I don't I just, know. I mean, there's a, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of feeling right now that the SEC is like – as long as the ACC is, is stable, the SEC is like, yeah, that's okay. We're fine. I don't think that anyone outside of current ACC programs makes sense for the SEC as expansion targets. So it would take no, except the, no, except for Notre Dame, maybe. But it would take. I think it would take. Everybody the would be interested in yeah, Notre Dame. It would take the breakup of the ACC. I think yeah. for the SEC to want to expand more, because outside of that, I don't see a target that makes a ton of sense. No, no. So yeah, we'd love your thoughts. Uh, I mean, now that we're going to uh, going to sixteen SEC teams, not this coming year, but the following year, and before too long, we're going to know who the opponents are. For everyone um, now, Wimp this morning. I'm, I'm on with uh, with with Wimp and his son Barry up in Tuscaloosa on Wednesdays. Wimp said he's he's heard over the last couple of days that there may be some type of attempt to go with just two permanent opponents, but I can't. The math doesn't work to do two permanent opponents with sixteen teams because. I said, so what are you playing, an eight-game schedule? And he said, no, a nine-game schedule. Well, then that doesn't work because you'd play two permanent, seven rotating, but then the next year you'd only have, there'd only be six others that you hadn't played. So you'd play one team. That, that doesn't work. No, you would, it would create a rotation, right? It would where you'd have to. You're already have having teams. a rotation. Right. But, but, but like every seventh year you play one team, Three out of four. Yes, I mean yes. that's really it would, no, that's, it would create like a staggered is, rotation. No, that's not that, that doesn't that's not nearly as clean. As oh the no, no, it's not. The, uh, three. Well, you and, might see three a team six. three times. You might see one two times. You'll see everybody. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you another reason. If you're Auburn, you don't want that because you're going to get Bama and Georgia. Yeah, and you're going to be playing like a in a in a two plus seven system. 
You're going to be you're playing Bama and Georgia, and then rotating other people. Yes, and, and so nobody you, else will have two that tough. Yes, and so I I think three. No, it's got to be three six or one seven. I mean, look the the status and, quo right now. And I think the feeling is it's going to be three six. There are few schools that don't want to go nine conference games. They don't want to lose a home game, and they don't want to play a ninth Bill's, conference game. Bill's disgusted by my suggestions for the three and the six. I'm not for, disgusted for by team. them. I just I did I disagree <laughs> strongly with a few of them. Right. You, well, you like you'd like to see. I mean, I think it's an interesting, especially if you assume Auburn and Georgia, or, or if you assume Alabama and Georgia are, are two of Auburn's three. How they decide that third Auburn opponent, I think, will be an interesting. Uh, you know, oh yeah, you try to make it fair, or you just want to? Uh, do you preserve rivalry, or do you? Because I, I don't even. Know I, I've you, I've seen some folks on message boards. LSU would be the rival. And social media saying, "Well, let's just we Auburn needs Alabama, Georgia, and Florida." No, and and you need your head examined, whoever you are, if you're if you think that's who Auburn Auburn needs. Although to to be clear, like I don't know over the next five years. No, you don't. I don't know where Florida slots in in a sixteen team SEC as a potential opponent because is is, is Florida is is Florida going to win? Still an upper half team. Are, are they still? And it's tough though. I mean, with with, with Oklahoma and They're Texas still, coming in, that, that, I mean, yeah, I know. Florida going to win more games over the next five years than Ole Miss? Yes. Yeah, because Lane won't be there five years from now. <laughs> he might be in Florida. Uh, Lane, Lane, will, uh, Lane will be somewhere. He Lane, be, yeah, he may be in the NFL yeah. or Gainesville. I yeah, mean, that's true. Throw him out be. there. I mean, if they if it goes real south and Florida says we got to go pay, we got to go pay someone like their top five coach. Uh, let's see if, if they go through the same song and dance next year. Lane, Lane, Lane still needs to recruit high school and junior college kids a little better. Uh, I think. I wonder um, where would Florida. Oh, we're late, aren't we? Yeah, we, we got to go. Yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're super. Yeah, we're just uh, just sort of rambling on. Yep. Uh, help us out here. Give us your thoughts. Yeah, we need to get to our final break of hour number one. Come on in and join us here on the Wednesday Drive. Policies at selectquote.com. That's what I said. Welcome back in. We're just about out of time for hour number one. Of the Wednesday Drive, Bill and Dan with Drew here at the controls. Love to hear from you. Anything you want to talk about. The SEC going to 16. How's the schedule going to work out? Want to talk some basketball? We'll take a look at tonight's games as well. as continue looking back at last night's win over Missouri as we head into hour number two of the Wednesday Drive. ESPN 1067, WGZZ HD3 Waverly, and W294AR Auburn Opelika. This is SportsCenter. I'm Christine Lisi, ESPN's Adam Schefter reporting. Jaguars receiver Calvin Ridley is applying to the NFL for reinstatement. He was suspended for at least the 2022 season on March 7th after an investigation found he bet on NFL games while he was away from the Falcons. Jacksonville coach Doug Peterson, GM Trent Balky have said multiple times since acquiring Ridley, they felt confident he'd eventually be reinstated by the commissioner. Ridley would add another layer of explosiveness to the Jags offense, believes our Keyshawn Johnson. He's going to be able to uh, stop on a dime and, and give some change. He's a significant route runner. He is a 
hands catcher and not a body snatcher. He's the type of guy that you want. He understands the route concepts. He's under, he understands how to play football at a high level. They certainly got a gym when they got Calvin Ridley. Key of Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. Tiger Woods played 16 holes, walked 18 in the Genesis Invitational Pro-Am today. His first public round of golf since last summer's British Open. He'll tee off his first round of the tournament with Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy tomorrow at 3.04 Eastern on ESPN+. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. At Progressive, they're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. Live from Auburn, the sports capital of Alabama, this is The Drive. The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck on ESPN 1067 and online at ESPNAU.com. To be a part of The Drive, call 334-321-1390, toll free at 888-382-7502, or email The Drive at ESPNAU.com. Welcome into hour number two of the Wednesday Drive. Bill and Dan, Drew at the controls, we'd love for you to join in as well. As we're wide open here on this Wednesday, looking back at last night's action, looking ahead toward tonight. Uh, but but anything going on in the world of sports is fair game for hour number two of The Drive, which is brought to you by the good folks at the Orthopedic Clinic, East Alabama's go-to center for orthopedic care, with locations in Auburn and Opelika, on the web at orthoclinic.com. And you can uh, join us on the Kia of Auburn hotline. 334-321-1390. Kia of Auburn, where you're always number one. You can also text the show, 334-564-1840 on the Drive Text Box, presented by our friends at Southeastern Industrial Contractors. Uh, they also sponsor the podcast, which you can find however you listen to podcasts. A uh, big, big uh, shout-out to everybody at Southeastern Industrial Contractors. If you want to listen to the podcast, yes, yeah, search for The Drive with Bill Cameron on your favorite podcasting platform or go to RadioAlabama.net or ESPNAU.com and use the podcast center. Had a big show yesterday uh, with Auburn uh, Athletics Director, uh, John Cohen among our usual slate of Tuesday guests. So I would encourage you to check out yesterday's show uh, via the podcast if you missed it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a, a fun show. It was great to have the opportunity to speak uh, with the Auburn AD. Uh, so, so yeah, hopefully hopefully you got a chance to hear that. And speaking, if, uh, as, as Dan was saying, you can check it out. Speaking of fun, uh, last night at Neville Arena, it seemed like everybody was having fun watching Auburn just run away. Yeah, I didn't see many Missouri, Missouri fans, yeah. and that's probably was good for them. That would have been enough. That, 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 that's a long trip to make to see that kind of outcome. I mean, what an answer to a game Bruce Pearl was calling a must-win game, right? I mean, for that team to go out there and play against a quality opponent. We, we've asked multiple times in the last month or so, Bill, We've asked, who is the best team Auburn has beaten all year? The answer to that question now is Missouri. If you look at the numbers and the computer rankings and where they sit as an NCAA tournament team, uh, Missouri, I mean, Arkansas might have been ahead of Missouri in the net ranking, but most uh, projections had Missouri ahead of Arkansas in the yeah. NCAA tournament. Oh, 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 Missouri was being projected as a seven seed, Arkansas around a nine or a ten. 
Missouri to to beat the best team you've beaten all year and to beat them that convincingly. It's a really impressive win for an Auburn team that you know had some uncertainty, had to uh, had had to figure some things out in the final month of the season or risk falling to the bubble or falling in, into a more precarious position as an NCAA uh, tournament team. So, yeah, huge win last night. Great to see uh, Katie Johnson continue uh, his stretch of impressive play. Great to see Alan Flanagan. And uh, Janai Broom, hopefully he's okay because he was dominant. Big reason why Auburn uh, was able to impose their will. Uh, Auburn thoroughly out-rebounded Missouri. And from the very beginning, I mean, the game felt... Game felt out of reach shockingly early, and I know that's dangerous in basketball because a run can trim a big lead into something more manageable. But like we were saying in the first hour, never felt like that run was coming for the uh, uh, for, for for the Missouri Tigers. Oh, so no. I mean, just a uh, uh, yeah, and, and you can turn Bill back on. It's uh, uh, yeah, never never felt like that was uh, was in the cards, and in fact, it wasn't. Auburn wins by thirty three. No, uh, a a fun game, yes, for for everyone. That was an Auburn, to, an Auburn Forty-five person. to eighteen at the half. Forty-five to eighteen. Auburn led it by thirty-nine, and I I'll say this, and and again, this this sounds this this is terrible. This doesn't sound very professional. I thought the game were called fairly. Auburn wins by fifty. I thought really the 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 officials let Missouri pound on Janai and and. Uh, called caused things a little tighter against Auburn, but it didn't really matter last night. So maybe that's just getting them prepared for for some tough road trips. Three three four three two one thirteen ninety. Let me say before we get to the phone, we have more tickets for Auburn baseball, the season opening series this weekend at Plainsman Park as the Tigers host Indiana. The Hoosiers coming down and expecting the warm climbs of the South. Well, it's going to be 30 Friday night, so the game's been moved up to 4 o'clock. We have tickets for Saturday, though. Temperature's expected to be around 60, uh, I believe, for for the uh, start of the game at 2 o'clock. If you would like tickets to Saturday's 2 o'clock baseball game between Auburn and Indiana, just let us know, and we will set you up with a pair of tickets. Let's get to the Kia of Auburn hotline, and we have our first two callers. Are you know so uh, are are both named Dan, so we'll get it right by on one of these lines, and we'll go ahead and bring up the first Dan. Hey my Dan, name, that's my name too. Yeah, so we got three Dans. What's up, Dan? All on the line. Hey Dan. Hey guys. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, uh, call from Lake County, Georgia. So uh, join us on online every day. Um, well, that's great. We appreciate comments. you listening. Yeah, on Wendell, I just don't understand the criticism. I, I think he's a great player. Auburn wouldn't have 18 wins and eight conference wins without him. You mentioned he's willing to take that shot at the end. And you look at the assist last night, but for Wendell to get assists, that means the player he's passing to has to make the shot. And uh, if there's a stat for blown assist, I think Wendell would be <laughs> at or near the top of the list because I think he's gotten the ball. Many times where somebody just set them up to score and they, they didn't. So. Oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and, 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 and listen to Bruce talk about Wendell. He loves Wendell Green. Oh, yeah. he's. I, I think he's a fantastic player in point guard and quarterback the team. And I was curious, did you read the comment Bruce made about um, 
um, KD's shooting that um, they got. They've been working on his three point shot and getting him to Lift. put more arc on the ball. Uh-huh. They had some kind of device on the basket that forces him to shoot it higher. And I noticed last night his shot looked remarkably better. And if he gets hot at the end of the year, watch out. Um, yeah, people I, I forget. Just, you know, people forget the guy was a he was a forty percent three point shooter as a freshman in Georgia. Yeah, something changed, but he's. Uh, I think he's finding his groove, and, and that may be key that he may have been shooting too much of a line drive. And uh, if that changes, I think that puts Auburn in a lot better spot having KD. No question about but, that. I've actually I've seen the device. So um, uh, Nathan King wrote a story about KD for Auburn Undercover, and he makes reference to a device called. Uh, it is called the. Is it the gun? Officially, it's a um, and and it's a it's it's got a net around its. Let's see if I can find the. Uh, let's see if I can find the exact story in Nathan's the, the the part of Nathan's column where he mentions that uh, the yeah. So it is called the gun. So uh, re- reading from Nathan's story, the arc of Katie's three point shot was a bit low for Pearl's liking. So Auburn director of player personnel Marquise Daniels worked with Johnson on getting more shots up on the gun, a machine that redistributes the ball from the direction it came after a made shot. In order to make a shot, it has to be high enough to get trapped in a net that surrounds the basket and sides of the backboard and then deposited back down into the machine. And so that encourages players to get more lift on their jump shots. And uh, it's apparently helped Katie Johnson in in recent days. Well, you know what? It's, it's, uh, you know, people may not realize this, but if you get... Nice arc and backspin on a ball. You'll get a kind your you, you get a kind your bounces and uh, you get some of that backspin that can actually roll the ball into the rim as opposed to bouncing off. They also they they also took issue with where Katie's release point was and getting him to put more arc on the ball also got him to to release yeah. the ball at a higher point and that's uh, paid some dividends for him or at least it certainly did in the first half last sure. year. I mean the stretch of six games or so has been really impressive for KD and it uh, it addresses uh, an issue that Auburn has had which well, is outside huge shooting Absolutely. and it provides uh, Auburn with a big lift off, mm-hmm. off the bench. All right, thanks guys. Hey, thanks for the call, Dan. Appreciate great, you listening. Great stuff, Dan. 334-321-1390. I believe we have do we have the the next Dan? <laughs> hey, Dan. Hey guys. Yeah, I was pretty excited about the game last night. You know, it does help Wendell a lot when, when everyone else is making the shots, like the previous caller said, because then it opens up the lane more, and then he can actually operate better. But, um, but yeah, if, the, if all the role players and all the other guys make their shots, then it makes everybody's life easier. But uh, Bruce made a comment, and which I already – I think we all have talked about it, or it's been talked about, about um, that, the net, how they calculate it. And, it, and apparently, like how much you win by kind of gives you additional points, or you know, or you lose points. Do you guys know what that is, or do, is it? I know there's something about ten points. If you don't lose by ten points, it doesn't hurt you as bad. You know. Yeah, I'm not exactly. The- yeah, I haven't seen the formula. I've heard, you know, I've heard bits and pieces. I'd love to see that that full formula so that everybody could just plug it in themselves. Yeah, because because it made it sound like. You know, it, as long as you don't lose by ten, I think that's why he was mad at Nate Oates when they when when they scored the last basket to make it go to ten, and then we had to score. He was he was kind of giving him like a dirty look, like you know that's what it seemed like last game, but but then he brought it up this game. So I'm wondering if the losses that we had since they were just like they were all really tight games, really close, 
maybe they won't hurt as bad, you know. But so it'd the, be interesting exact, to know what that is. The exact is. algorithm that they use is not uh, is is not disclosed right, it's to not the public. public. We, we know that there are there are two aspects of it though. There's team value index, which is which is called TVI. Sometimes when you're watching college basketball, uh, announcers will make reference to, to TVI, and that is uh, that that is based on uh, who you've beaten. That's sort of where the quad one, two, three, and four, uh, you know that that uh, uh, that that gets into account. But then there's also something called uh, adjusted net efficiency, uh, which factors in strength of opponent and where the game is played. And sort of gives every win a, uh, a a value based on that. I, I mean, as as far as we know, margin of victory isn't uh, a a factor in either of those. Um, but uh, you know, we we don't we don't actually know everything that goes into it. So I mean, I I would think that it's uh, you know it's it's more like I I didn't think that Bruce's issue with what happened at the end of the game had to do with. The computer rankings and what this, you know, what that might mean. I thought it was more a, a sportsmanship, you know, a general you know, sportsmanship issue. But well, um, yeah, again, I don't know. Well, Bruce, Bruce made the comment though that he didn't like that the margin of victory mattered, hmm. but it did. So that's that. why I, I think. I mean, I don't think he would say that. Obviously, if he's the coach, he would know what what the actual thing is. Maybe you need to get him on here. And it's about time to get Bruce Pearl on your show, guys. Uh, that would be great. We'd love, we'd love that. <laughs> All right. Well, if you have figured it out, let me know. Appreciate it. All right. Appreciate the call, Dan. Three three four three two one thirteen ninety. The uh, congratulations to William uh, getting those uh, baseball tickets. We have another pair. We'll give away here in a little while. Um, so, so yeah, looking looking forward to the start of baseball. We'd love your thoughts on basketball. I, I had I did not hear those comments from Bruce. So yeah, I mean, I'll see if I can find that. That might have been post game after the yeah, Alabama I, game I, or or Tuesday because I I don't know exactly what Dan was referring to. I mean, later, I but. I don't I don't usually hang around because I'm usually there with with family. Yeah, uh, well, and so I mean, I don't go down to the to the post game. I try to catch as much as I can of the radio post game. And I'll concede, but, uh, but I missed usually I miss bits and pieces. Absolutely, like I'm I'm not gonna. You know, correct Bruce Pearl or anything like that. I was under the impression the margin of victory was not one of the factors that the NCAA used in determining uh, the, uh, the 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 formula there. You know, the the things that are disclosed publicly, margin of victory is not one of them. Mm-hmm. Then at the same time, the computers might take into account the score of the game in in one of these uh, two formulas. But but I, I I was unaware if that's the case, and, and that would uh, seem contrary to at least. Some of the stuff that's been released publicly about about how they calculate this, but but yeah, if you if you think about it, uh, yeah, my feeling was, hey, don't do that. You're already got the game won kind of thing. Which uh, Bruce Bruce's guys usually are instructed. They've got the lead, got a big lead there at the end because I mean, last night there were a lot of people going, get the ball to Dylan for the double double, and it's like, no, you do that with a minute or so left when the shot clock is still in play. But once the shot clock is out, then uh, just run the clock, let the game end. Yeah, and it's um, you know I don't think anybody's trying to uh, to to show up an opponent or rub their face in, uh, in in the result or anything like that. Everybody's just trying to get to the locker room. You know, once the game is in hand, you know I think I think people want to keep competing, but at the same time you want to get to the locker room healthy and uh, get get ready for the next game and, and be in the best position possible to do that. And you know if 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 extracurricular activities we've seen ugly incidents at the end of the game you know before mm-hmm. uh, and we've uh 
you know, it's just it's something to avoid if you can, you know, on top of it being good sportsmanship. So, yeah, I, I could see why, even if it wasn't necessarily about the margin, uh, why a coach would take exception to what happened at the end of the game uh, in, in, in the Auburn-Alabama game. We'll get to our first break of hour number two. Love for you to join in here on the Wednesday Drive. Let's get back to the drive. The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck on ESPN 1067 and online at ESPNAU.com. To be a part of The Drive, call 334-321-1390, toll free at 888-382-7502, or email The Drive at ESPNAU.com. Welcome back into The Drive, 20 minutes after 5 o'clock here on this Wednesday afternoon. And let's get back to the Kia of Auburn hotline. And Mitch is up next. Hey, Mitch. Hey, guys. A uh, couple things. One, touched on uh, SEC expansion and then uh, something in basketball. But I want to start with basketball. Um, guys, we're all, you know, talking about uh, the double-doubles that we possibly could have had last night. And, and I just got to looking, and I know uh, Auburn in their history has three, uh, I think two by Walker Kessler. Triple-doubles. Uh, Triple doubles, mm-hmm. yes. And so I was like, you know what? Well, how many quadruple doubles has there ever been? So I so I looked not, it up. And not he, many. No, not many. There's only been four in the NBA, and two of them, uh, well, one was by a team, and another one was by uh, David Robinson. Um, and then in the, I, the only one I could find in the NCAA was a guy at UT Martin back in 2007. Uh, uh, Lester Hudson, I believe, was his name. So that's that points, that's rebounds, one. assists, and blocks, or was it steals? Uh, I think for the one in the NCAA, I think it was steals. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. thinking. Yeah, but 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 there's a woman, there's a woman, a young lady at Grambling State. That's recorded two quadruple doubles. Wow! Yeah, yeah, and and, and obviously no one's had a, 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 a quintuple double. With yeah, that would have to be points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. Right, right, yeah. So, so th- I thought. I mean, I thought that was very interesting. That that I mean, that there's only been. I mean, you know, Dan's the the computer guy. He might find another one, but yeah, the NCAA. There's only been one NBA four. And I, yeah, Auburn had a chance. Lady. I mean, Auburn really, with uh, with ten minutes to go in the game last night, I'm looking and thinking, there's a chance Auburn could have three guys with double doubles. I don't know that I could ever recall a team having three players with double doubles, because Jalen had nine and seven, right. and uh, Dylan had eight and ten, and then Janai had twenty and ten. Right, right. Yeah, that that that's something I did not look up. That would that would probably be something to look up to see if three guys have ever had <laughs> double doubles on the same. Team. Yeah, it would be in a pretty big route, I would think. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but getting back to football and the expansion and everything, uh, I believe it was it was it Friday that you guys were both out and you had the yeah. uh, mm-hmm. the subs in. Well, uh, we uh, I called up and 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 I know Bill, you you had your list of three permanent opponents. Oh yeah, I've had know, that for a long time. Yeah, and all, and and well, and I I did the same thing too when when we heard that uh, Oklahoma and and uh, Texas were coming in. But uh, the one I wanted to touch on because I talked to them was um, Georgia and Florida. Now, now first, you know, obviously Auburn and obviously Florida, you know, because of the cocktail party. 
And and I threw in there South Carolina because, you know, that was a, a game they used to play back in the 80s when there was only six conference games and there wasn't divisions and all that and everything. And then for Florida, obviously UGA. And then uh, uh, keeping LSU because uh, that's been their common opponent since 92. And then I threw in uh, Tennessee. And the guys on Friday were like, uh, that might be a yeah, I think that's. I think that's too tough. I think you got to pick either LSU yeah. or Tennessee for Florida. I think. Yeah. I think you can. Have, well, Georgia well, stays. Well. Georgia stays, and then you pick either the Tennessee rivalry. Yeah, or the I, LSU think, rivalry. I think so too. And then the other to, one. The other one I, I think mine. needs to be probably a lower tier SEC East team. South Carolina, South Carolina, Kentucky, Kentucky, or, or Vanderbilt, something like that. Well, yeah, see, well, I had. Well, well, I, I had I had Georgia LSU and and either Kentucky or Vandy. Yeah, see, I've got I've got uh, Georgia, Kentucky, and Tennessee as my three opponents for Florida. Okay, well, I flipped it around and and and, and they actually like this better. But I went uh, from Florida, I went LSU, Georgia, and South Carolina, and then mm-hmm. for Georgia, I went Auburn, Florida, and Tennessee. See, I think that's too no. tough for Georgia. I don't think it is. You don't think so? I think I think no, I think that's, I don't I think think that's it a top is. tier. I think that that's that would be that would be as tough a draw as anybody's got, right? Auburn, Auburn, Florida, and Tennessee would be about as tough a draw as anybody draws. If those are Georgia's three. Uh, well, if you're Alabama and you got uh, Auburn, LSU, and Tennessee, that's that's about the same. Yeah. So those are two. I mean, so about the same. Yeah. But those are the two teams that are the best. They should be playing. They can't. They're not playing themselves. Maybe and they're not happen. playing each other. Yeah. So they ought to get. Yeah. They ought to get pretty tough schedules. Maybe I, I could see and you can adjust it in yeah. four years. You could. I, I could see. Um, I, yeah. I, I could see two traditional powerhouses and maybe someone who's not a traditional powerhouse for both of those teams. But I mean, right so, now you've got you've got Tennessee trying to reestablish themselves, Florida trying to hang on. Like I could see, I could see South Carolina ending up as one of Georgia's three opponents. Yeah, I, I could too. Um, and in which case you'd have to bump uh, one of uh, either Auburn, Florida, or Tennessee uh, from, uh, from from right. Georgia if, if you gave them. You're South not. Carolina. You're not. Gonna, Auburn and Georgia are going to play. I could see Auburn either, and Alabama are going to play. I could see either Ole Miss or Mississippi. Alabama, Tennessee. I could play. see either Ole Miss or Mississippi. State as one of Alabama's yep. three permanent opponents, in which case you would have to pick. Wouldn't be between, fair, but I, I could see it. Yeah, I, I, in, I, in which case you'd have to sacrifice those traditional rivals. Right. But that's, that's the point I would make. Okay, guys. Well, that's all I got today. War Eagle, we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate the call. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting because somebody is going to come out of this going, hey, we don't deserve this. It needs to be fairer. The best thing is you're rotating everybody. So... You'll you, it won't be as one sided. Even though if you have tougher permanent opponents, it's still going to be worse. It may not be as you know as bad as 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 it perhaps has been for a couple of teams. Yeah, and, and I guess um, it comes. Yeah, the, the the criticism I keep getting of the uh, of the three ones I've picked for for every team is that I, I went too easy on some of the traditional powerhouses yeah. in the conference. Because yeah, I, th- I, suggested- I think I think you do have to sort of weigh. Not only how good are they now, how good have they been, how consistent have they been. The best, if the best aren't playing each other, and Alabama and Georgia will not be playing each other on an every-year basis. If those aren't playing each other, they need to play a little tougher other teams because other teams are having to play them. Right. I, I would be surprised if either Alabama or Georgia, when we find out who the three permanent opponents are, if either of them drew three of what we would think of as the top 
seven or eight or ten programs, which is I if you think get, I, I really do think I, I will be very disappointed because I've heard this from so many people projecting it. I think Alabama's getting Auburn, LSU, and Tennessee, and you've got you've got all three of those are they're they're a notch below. They're closer. They're sort of. Um, See, I thought you in just, the five to eight range. I thought you just agreed that you thought one of the Mississippi schools would end up on Alabama's no. schedule. Okay, no, I, I thought okay. I, I you, you don't you don't think one of the? No, two I said I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, okay, but I, that's I what don't I, think they will. I think Alabama gets Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU. I have a feel, you know what the. I think and they should. Too. You, well, no, and that's a difficult choice as far as which of if you don't give Alabama those three, which of the three then what rivalries? are you doing? You're giving it. You're giving the best team. One of you're giving them uh, an easier schedule than some other teams. Well, no, are gonna but get. the point I was going to make is that if you don't give Alabama those three, you have to make a difficult decision as far as which rivalry to jettison. Right, because those are three very prominent rivals for Alabama. I just wonder if those are going to be the three they end up with. Well, the two, the two that they're going to end up with are Auburn and Tennessee. Right, and that's where I wonder if because LSU's got a couple. I mean, between between Florida and Alabama. And some, some would say A&M. A&M to LSU means squat compared Arkansas, to the Alabama game. Arkansas has grown into a rivalry over and the last 25 years or so. And to them not, not, compared not a, to Alabama. And then you've got two Mississippi schools that both sort of view themselves Ole Miss as, is Ole Miss. But LSU-Mississippi State, who thinks of that as a big rivalry? Right, just because they play in the West. You know, the LSU and Ole Miss is a big rivalry. Yeah, some, some of these trimming right. it down to three and then figuring out if you've dealt them too easy or too difficult to hand, I think, is going to be the project for the SEC. Final half hour coming up. We've got another pair of baseball tickets. Call in. They're yours. And speaking of baseball, uh, we had a chance to uh, get with the Auburn assistant baseball coaches the other day. Well, here's some comments from our former comrade, Gabe Gross, when we come back here on the Wednesday Drive. With Bill Cameron and Dan Peck on ESPN 1067 and online at ESPNAU.com. To be a part of the drive, call 334 321 1390, toll free at 888 382 7502, or email us at the drive at ESPNAU.com. Welcome back in, final half hour of the drive on this Wednesday, and congratulations, Rex. Picked himself up a couple of tickets to the Saturday Auburn-Indiana game. I think we may have some Sunday tickets tomorrow. So uh, so join us for that. Dan will be out tomorrow. Who've, uh, got Coastal who Carolina. Got? Tro- Trojans are uh, Trojans are one game up on three. Oh, that's why you were watching their video. You were, that's right. You were doing a little scouting. That's right. We haven't played the we haven't played the sh- the chance uh, this year. Uh, so the, uh, the the Coastal Carolina. Although I, it's one of those, and I don't want to get too far. I could have sworn Chanticleers are male. They are uh, okay, but uh, so it's not the the, the Lady Chants or anything like that. I just think we're not supposed to. I was going as the Chanticleerettes. Yeah, it's. it's <laughs> 
Santa Clara's? No, so it's uh, uh, the uh, no. So so we've got we've got Coastal Carolina. Yeah, I thought Chanticleers were roosters. I, be, I believe I believe that's correct. Um, so Coastal Trojans are one game up on three teams. Four games left in the regular season. Uh, senior days on Saturday against Appalachian State. But Coastal and App are both uh, teams that that have just been traditional powers of late in the conference. They've competed for the conference uh, championship in recent years. They always give Troy a big game, and there's a good chance we're going to see one of these two teams again in Pensacola based on how the seating works out. So I think it's important for Troy to bring it tomorrow night and uh, and get themselves a little bit closer to a third league title in four years. And, uh, yeah, as you, so you won't have to worry about some of those. They're not going to be bringing their officials with them. Some of the calls that you were watching today. Oh no, I was. Yeah, well, we'll we'll see. I mean, that's uh, that's it wasn't the only game where that sort of things happened, but uh, but yeah, coastal coastal and Troy both play fast and attack the basket a lot, and it's tough to officiate because there's sometimes there's a lot of contact. Yeah, and sometimes there's no contact at well, all. Well, and, and that's, players go that's, flying, and that's the most frustrating thing about officiating is you know maybe the guys on the outside will call it tight, and the ones on the inside won't, or vice versa, or when they are reversing the end of the court, the guy who'd been on the outside Outside on one end is down low, so you get calls going. It seems one way or the other. Auburn but, uh, it's took, tough, tough to call with the athletes. So so talented. Auburn took the officials somewhat out of the game last night by building such a big lead that it just didn't really. The game didn't hinge on one call or another. No, no, you're right, and uh, and that's uh, that probably played to Auburn's benefit because there were. A few, few spotty instances oh, there man, after Auburn not, built not, that big you're, lead. You're but. not kidding about that. All right. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, Auburn baseball getting started against Indiana this Friday. And, uh, um, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna give you an opportunity to hear some comments from Gabe Gross. But as we've said, calls come first. So we'll get to the phones first and go to Daniel. Hey, Daniel. A lot of Dan's. Yeah, really. In the second hour. What's up, Daniel? <laughs> What's up, guys? Uh, hey, I did just, I don't know if somebody has asked this before. Um, I just got in the car. I heard you guys love the show, listen to it every day. Um, but I just wanted to ask the simple question. How, how does one become a collegiate referee? What is the process? Uh, I just, I don't know. I was just curious if you guys knew or anyways, thanks guys. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, guys work their way up. Uh, as a matter of fact, I mean, um, you, you'll have, uh, it's, it's not really tryouts, but I mean, the, each conference sort of, uh, has an eye on, on some potential candidates who, um, they can, they can express interest in that they, they hear about. I mean, you'll, you'll have guys working up from, um, from, from high school and getting the opportunity to move, move up. To become collegiate officials, there's a there, there's a uh, there are. I was going to go ahead. There's a it's not a union. That's not the word I would use. No, it's not a union. Tra- an organization, trade, yeah, trade organization, right? Uh, that you can register with, mm-hmm. uh, and that I think the NCAA and, and there, different, and, and different there conferences are, use different organizations. Right maybe. there, are, there are there are camps. There are um, you know opportunities to go learn exactly um, the rules and how to. Uh, you know how to interpret them, how to call them. Uh, they're you know they're they're you know training opportunities, and then from that, I mean, if you're uh, uh, if you're pretty good at what you do, I mean, there's a chance. But I mean, you really these these guys work. I mean, they work and put in a lot of work, working out, 
and going through uh, camps and training and and drills and things like that before they get the opportunity. So I will read from uh, I will read from the website of a group called Say Yes to Officiating dot com, which is the official website of the National Association of Sports Officials, which is one of those organizations mm-hmm. that we talked about. They have a sort of getting started page, how to become a basketball official, and their recommendation after they tell you about some of the things to consider, physical demands, mental demands, training, equipment, uh, what you can expect to earn uh, starting out versus what you could expect to earn a little bit later on, a a different uh, certification. Uh, But their recommendation is, uh, many officials start at the youth level. Contact local recreation department leaders. Uh, your local association should help you to make contacts to get games. Parks and rec departments offer youth and adult games in many cities. You could work multiple games per day on the weekends for schools and independent organizations, enhancing your earning potential. After working youth games, you may feel you have the skills and confidence to work higher levels of competition. Uh, that's how you can move to the high school level. Uh, for junior high games, ask association leaders or contact your local sports, uh, your local school district. For high school games, uh, work uh, work with your local association. Uh, any work with sanctioned school games requires you to be registered through your state. Uh, the National Federation of State High School Associations is the governing body for high school athletics. Through them, uh, you can uh, find yeah. your, uh, uh, your right. More you have to be you have to be certified, and you and 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 then there are different. Organizations, associations, highschoolofficials.com apparently is the website you go to okay. to get registered to be a, a high school. Official. Yeah, so Daniel, if you're interested, uh, hopefully that could that could help you. I mean, uh, I guarantee you, everyone's always looking for for more good officials. Right, and the more and the more experience. I guess one of the the points this website's trying to make is that the more years you have outside of the college game, the more attractive option you'll be if you want to start becoming, if you want to mm-hmm. make that move to college. If you just have a couple of Parks and Rec games to your not likely. to your name, you, right. may, you may not be, be an, an interesting option, but the more games you have, the, the stronger your resume can be, the more likely it is that a college uh, conference uh, may uh, may decide or, or have to hire you. Actually, it's not at the conference level. It's NAIA, Division Three, Division Two, Division One deciding on, on official assignments, and they can... Man. Uh, and I guess there's also camps a, a, that you go to to, right. to, to improve your, uh, a question, your a question like that makes, you know, it's like Chuck Furlow would have been the, the perfect yeah. person to ask. Dang that. it. You're right. And then Chuck, of course, very good friends with Steve Shaw, the, the national director of football officials. 334-321-1390. Matt is up next. Hey, Matt. Hey, guys. Can I ask you all a quick football question? We're going to be sure. spring practicing here in a couple of weeks. So, of the current players, not transfers or new players that we've signed, who on the offensive line do you think has the best chance to be a starter come fall? Jeremiah Wright? Yes. The only one, maybe? Uh, he is, he's definitely the first one that comes to J- mind. Jeremiah Wright and Cam Stutz strike me as, as real options to start at guard. Um, Tate Johnson was a starter when last season yeah, started. Until, until Avery until Avery Jones was signed. Yeah, Auburn went out and, and added a, a, a signed, center. Signed a, a proven multi-year starter at center. Right, which makes you think maybe he's going to be in a tough spot. I mean, I, I could foresee a scenario where the guards are Cam Stutz and Jeremiah Wright. It's going to be interesting the, to watch uh, Isavian Miller you've and got see, because you know, I think he's going to get a... Uh, look inside yeah, there, as well. There could be a scenario where you've got four new arrivals right. and one holdover, maybe two holdovers, the guards, and then you have a center and two tackles made up of the new arrivals. Maybe one of the tackles uh, remaining on the team makes a push, although that feels 
less likely with Auburn going out yeah, and bringing in two tackles. It's going to be interesting, though. Uh, in Dylan Wade and, and Gunnar yeah, Bridge. So how but, about uh, that Colby, was it Colby Smith? Colby he's Smith, a, yeah. He's a big, he's, he's a, a pretty high recruit. He's big a big guy. kid, right? Yeah, he is. And, I mean, this is a great opportunity for him. Uh, yeah, that That's where this spring will be really interesting because some of the guys that have been around, hey, here's a real shot for them. Uh, but if they come out of the spring looking up at some other guys, then you're probably going to see some more additions into the portal. It's not the end of the world, though, if you're if you're Colby Smith or you're EJ Harris and you're not a starter because Auburn did go out and get some guys right. that maybe that one don't year. have a lot of eligibility. Yeah, there may be right. one year options and a mm-hmm. year a year in the Hugh Freeze system, and maybe this time next year you're looking at breaking into the starting lineup if if things go well in in 2022. So you know, for the upperclassmen that are running out of time. Eh, you know, maybe it's now or never. But Auburn signed a couple of offensive linemen, uh, and we we saw EJ at a at a basketball game yeah. uh, earlier this season, also looking uh, hey, pr- look, looking pretty healthy, looking pretty yeah. healthy. So yeah, there's a uh, uh, you know there's a couple couple guys that are that are remaining on the roster that that could have something to say about how the offensive line looks in the next year or two. Yeah, well, I mean, competition is good everywhere, especially offensive mm-hmm. defensive line, in my opinion. But another question, I'll hang up. Um, you know, Gus Malzahn got a lot of criticism because. He was a high school coach for a while, and everybody, every time something screwed up, they said, you know, well, that's just, we got a high school coach coaching our team. But Hugh Freeze was a high school coach and successful before he moved on to to college. Right. I haven't heard that about him. Uh, I wonder why. Maybe because his offense is a little more uh, diverse and Gus is about the same as he ran in high school. Is that the difference? You know, I, I think it's maybe just that uh, Hugh Freeze hasn't uh, done anything in a game that angers the fans yet. So that, not, that's that's part of it. So we're not that's hearing part him, of it. We're not but hearing I mean, him call the high school. Coach. I, I do think I do think Hugh has shown the ability to adapt and change a little bit, whereas Gus didn't. And when he tried to make a change, it just didn't work. I think Hugh Freeze, even earlier in his career, has had the perception of maybe he's just had better receivers. Yeah. Than Gus Malzahn, right? I don't know how much of it is scheme being routes. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I, mean, I, don't, I, don't I don't know how much of it's the passing tree is better, and how much of it is Hugh Freeze. And that's because that's something you can demonstrate, right? Hugh Freeze has gone out, and over the last ten, twelve years, Hugh Freeze has recruited more receivers who ended up in the NFL than Gus Malzahn has, and right. brought brought them brought them to come play for him. So that that would be, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't have a great answer as far as why Gus Malzahn's past as a high school coach is used against him more than more than it is with Hugh Freeze, but Yeah, it may it may be exactly what you said. Just uh just wait just just wait but and if, see. If Hugh Freeze can make steps to improve the passing game, uh, you know, at, at receiver and at quarterback and on the offensive line, uh that that's uh, certainly gonna go a long way in improving Auburn's fortunes on the field. We'll get to our final break of the afternoon. If we get a chance, we'll run some comments from uh, from Gabe Gross. If not, I mean, if you we've got calls, we will get to them. So stick with us here on the uh, final segment of the Wednesday Drive. The drive continues. 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 The drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck on ESPN 1067. Online at ESPNAU.com. To be a part of the drive, call 334-321-1390. Toll free at 888-382-7502. Or email the drive at ESPNAU.com. Welcome back in. Final few minutes of the drive here on this Wednesday afternoon. And, uh, yeah, while we've got a few minutes, thought we'd let you hear some of the comments uh, from Auburn assistant baseball coach Gabe Gross. Gabe, um, you'll first hear him start talking about 
the young freshman left-hander, um, Ike Irish, who they're going to find some spot in the lineup for him somewhere because of the bat. And he talks about some of the characteristics to make Ike Irish special. You know, big body, strong kid. Um, you know, it, I think it's so uh, not talked about uh, enough in the world of analytics and in the world of all this kind of stuff that baseball's coming is his his competitive genes through the roof. Um, that choker competes for every pitch, uh, every second. Um, you know, one of the beautiful things in the recruiting process, you get to know these kids when they're when they're pretty young. And our first conversation, I don't know if I've told anybody this, but I asked him. Uh, I asked him what he was looking for in a college, and he said, Coach, I just want to win. I hate to lose. <laughs> I thought that was one of the best answers I've ever gotten uh, in that. It's not like facilities. It's not like conference. He's just like, man, I want to win. That's what I'm looking for in college, and he brings that to the ballpark every single day. That, that you got more depth. There's more bodies. on. How, how much has that created a competitive environment yeah. for this team? There's no doubt, and it's 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 still going on. I think last year there was there was a position or two we were still evaluating and stuff. But uh, this year it's you know there's I don't know eight guys right now that probably couldn't tell you, would tell you that they probably have a chance to start, but don't know if they're going to start and where that is, and they're fighting for their lives. And um, I think that has absolutely uh, thrown this team into uh, a very competitive nature because uh, you're competing for your for bats, you're competing for starts, and I think that's going to continue for the for the first part of the year. I don't think game one's going to answer every question. and uh, I think you're a decent chance you're going to see a, a decent amount of moving parts as we try to get guys at bats and, and see who's going to reach out and grab those positions. And, um, you know, Bobby Pierce didn't get his first start till LSU last year. And, by gosh, when he got in there, it's like, they ain't, they ain't taking me out, you know, and he did it by his play. And so that that's really what we're looking for, what I'm looking for from, from a handful of positions. How much have you seen Bobby grow just in, in having some at-bats and, and yeah. being able to play every day? Yeah, his confidence, uh, his leadership, uh, which we had to have grow uh, on this team with, with losing all the people we lost last year. Um, Bobby, is, he's grown his maturity that he, he knows. It, part, of the, part of the greatness of, of him as a player is that, uh, man, he is, he is locked in. Uh, I don't know if it shows, but his motor runs very, very hot. Uh, it, is, it is another guy that competes very, very hard. But I think he's learned within that uh, how to control that a little bit better, uh, how to go up in that bat, how to have a little bit more of a two-strike approach instead of the, 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 the A swing on the 2-0 count. the same one you're getting on a 2-2 count. And, and how to learn how to... How to um, how to face different pitchers, they, what they're going to try to do to you because hitting behind Sonny last year, which he ended the year, he got pitched a little bit differently. and Not everybody's going to throw you a 102, a fastball, and you know how to handle that. And so it's just it's the maturity that comes with, with playing and playing at a high level. And not only that, but playing in the middle of the lineup. I think him hitting behind Sonny in the four hole, uh, huge dividends for this year of what to expect uh, because he's going to be one of the, the guys in the lineup that coaches circle and say, hey, we may not want to let this guy beat us. And he's going to have to handle that. Gabe, speaking of maturity, I mean, you, you've got a lot of guys that, that have been around for quite a while. Just, you know, talk about how much that means. Well, it does. You know, it's, it's almost, uh, I won't say totally flipped, but, but last year we had a lot of, lot of infield maturity. Uh, this year we have a lot of outfield maturity. You know, Case and Howe, and you got Bobby out there. You know, whether it's uh, Justin Kirby or Josh Hall or even Mike Bellow has got experience in Omaha. Like the, the, those guys out in the outfield have been around a little bit. 
Uh, you look in the infield, you got Cole Foster, who's now got a season of being an everyday player under his belt. And then the, the interesting pieces that, that go around, it could be mature and it could be some young guys. Got Gavin Miller at first base, uh, excuse me, at third base. Uh, maybe uh, a freshman that, that sticks his head up, but if you if you don't, you got Bryson Ware. He's got three years of experience, uh, even though not as an everyday guy, still may get an opportunity. Um, the first base deal is is very interesting with a lot of different guys over there that could be, but all of them have experience. Uh, whether uh, it's Brody Wortham coming from uh, you know a, a lower tier school, but he's been playing college baseball for four years. You got. Um, Cooper McMurray, uh, who's got experience at Kansas, and of course Cam Hill's been here for three years, and and then I guess we've worked Ike Irish over there a little bit, trying to figure out a way to, to free up the DH spot if, if Nate LaRue's catching, uh, see if he can play first base a little bit. You know, it, it's it's interesting because I do feel that way, but also, I, you know, between Ike and Gavin, uh, maybe even Chris Stanfield uh, getting some reps at some point in the outfield, we've got some younger kids, and it's it's so important to have the guys that have been there, uh, I think Butch said Omaha, uh, you know, Omaha dirt in their cleats. Uh, that it's like, look, this is what it looks like, and if it starts getting sideways, you know, coaches can scream at you till the cows come home. When a, when another player who's been there grabs you by the shirt and says, "Hey, this ain't good enough," or "This ain't the way we do things," it that always means more. Gabe Gross, uh, some of the comments he had the other day. Of course, Auburn baseball starting Friday. Hey, a really interesting. Yeah, there, there's some really interesting games tonight. Though in college basketball, we talked about him. Alabama, Tennessee. I still don't understand why Tennessee is favored in that ball game. I think Tennessee, Just, Tennessee being, uh, thank you, Drew. T- Tennessee being at home and uh, it being a game that matters. They've a lot. lost at home. It matters for Tennessee. I mean, Auburn had lost at home and they went out and they stomped Missouri last night. I think the belief is that it wasn't this Alabama is a, either. It wasn't Alabama. Uh, the, the, I think it's there's there's so much on the line for Tennessee. I think with Alabama. You know, the season doesn't hinge as much no, on what happens no, tonight. And so maybe you'll get a desperate, uh, inspired effort from Tennessee. I still kind of like Bama. Uh, I still kind of think they're going to win tonight. I, I'll be surprised if Tennessee wins. What do you think about uh, Kentucky and Mississippi State? Ooh, that's, I mean, for, for a Mississippi, how about Mississippi State in the field right now, according to Jerry Palm, Kentucky out right now, according to Dr. Jerry Palm. The game's in Starkville. CBS, the game's in Starkville. I, I still think Kentucky might be a little bit better, but State is tough in Starkville. And it, Kentucky has not 